and we're live greetings to everyone whether you're watching live or watching this on playback i'm uh your servant of african people brother minister zumbi and tonight's show on precise thinking is education versus schooling and i think the subtitle is something i came up earlier with this morning are we building or are we begging so we'll get into that very shortly like i said like the honorable elijah muhammad said do for self or suffer the consequences how the hell do you make the cia boy the hero when we know what the history has been between the cia and africa only when the father makes his trans uh makes his transition to the ancestral realm of the agoon goon does the son truly become a man okay yeah. take two minister zumbi what's good man <laughs> peace <laughs> what's good what's good uh hopefully everybody's staying warm tonight um i'm dealing with the snow up here but all is well i say that looking at my tally and twine it's about that time for another great episode of precise thinking with minister zumbi shawala we got the good brother Tahid. what's up brother how you doing peace peace Peace, brothers. Peace, brothers. All right, so Zumbi, man, we following your lead tonight, bro. Uh, all right, teacher, let's go. Okay, tonight's topic, and, uh, you know, I always like to acknowledge my ancestral teacher, brother Steve Coakley. Uh, I think he would. And another ancestral teacher, Dr. Anyan Palmer, founder of the Marcus Garvey School in L.A., City of Angels. Tonight's topic is what I call education versus schooling. And what really brought this on was I've been really going back into the work of Dr. Amos Wilson. Uh, for those of you who are familiar with his groundbreaking classic blueprint for black power, uh, he was one of the ones who talked about the need for what he calls an African-centered education. You know, uh, I'm pretty sure that those the three of us remember during the 90s of this push for a multicultural education. And Dr. Leonard Jeffries was one of the ones who was at the forefront of making the curriculum multicultural. But there was a cadre of us who were pushing for an African centered education. And one of the things that Dr. Wilson pointed out was this. Going back into the Supreme Court decision in 1954, Brown versus Board of Education, the push, and correct me if I'm wrong, the push was for us to have a standard education or basically having the same education as white counterparts. Okay. But what Dr. Wilson pointed out was this when you deal with education, you have to ask yourself, what are the needs of the people? Okay, so if you were to take two different groups who are coming from two different realities and two different paradigms, and you give them the same education, you will not get the same result 
based on the intention they bring into the educational process. So in other words, if I'm coming from a European paradigm, then my education will be more of conserving and preserving what I have already built. If I'm coming from an African perspective or paradigm, then my education must be, for lack of a better term, revolution or transformation. Because I'm coming from a different paradigm. Wait, 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 wait. So you're saying that uh, our white brothers and sisters, their paradigm was conservatism and ours was revolution? Exactly. In fact, that's what it has to be, because like I said, you're coming from two different paradigms. So even though you get the same education, and I always talk about this, if you were to take four child, one African, one European, one Latino, let's say one Arab and then one Asian, we all go to Harvard Business School. We all get the same education. Okay. But we're the only ones looking for a job. The rest of them are actually building industries. Okay. Ooh. Okay. Okay. So, so, so it's not so much about having the same education. I think we have to look at it in terms of the is the education we're receiving helping to solve the issues that we face as a people? Because the present system that we have, it's great at teaching us to solve white folks' issues, but how does it help us solve African issues? In fact, I remember in a debate between Kwame Ture and Dr. Malifi Asante uh, at the University of Cincinnati, he says, I'm going to teach you something about how to be an A student. And this is what Kwame Ture said. He said, whenever you sign up for a class or whenever you begin to engage in a curriculum, always ask yourself, how does this curriculum, how does this class, or how does this degree help me help African people improve their condition on this planet? That's how you become an A student. That kind of reminds me, Tahid. I know that you're a, you're a fan of Dead Prez the way I am. They <laughs> yeah. had a song called They Schools. <laughs> mm-hmm. And yo, yo, that's this is kind of reminding me of they schools. Mm-hmm. So you're saying that our our leaders, our thought leaders, our revolutionary thought leaders were telling us that we need to go to school for a totally different reason than our white and Asian counterparts. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm gonna give you a prime example of that. Okay. All right. Um I'm going I'm gonna bring up an ancestor, uh brother Geronimo G. Jaka Pratt. Okay. Uh, born in Louisiana, and what was interesting about his journey before he became uh, a member of the L.A. chapter of the Black Panther Party, uh, where he was in Louisiana, they were basically dealing with what I call domestic white terrorism, you know, KKK, Night Riders, etc. So what the village did or what the elders did, they gathered a group of young men, uh, Brother Geronimo being one of them, sent them into the U.S. military to gain skill sets that they could bring back home to help them defend against those white domestic terrorists. 
So they were given a charge and an intention of when they go into the U.S. military, it wasn't for any kind of American patriotism, but to go in and get the skill sets to learn how to help defend the village against domestic white terrorism. And when you study uh, Geronimo's military record, he even got the Purple Heart. So he was able to master those skill sets as a military guy. And then later on, when he helped his village, he finds himself uh, being transplanted to L.A., uh, being a Vietnam vet, very de uh, well-decorated Vietnam vet, joins the Black Panther Party and actually teaches them how to defend Panther offices against police attacks. And in a number of shootouts, they were able to get the upper hand on LAPD. Now, this leads into... Wait, wait, wait. wait. Who is this? This is... Geronimo G. Jocker Pratt. Because <laughs> okay. you know what? It sounds so much like a spook that sat behind the door in some ways. Exactly. All okay. Right. And to show you how well Geronimo studied his lessons, because of what he learned from the U.S. military and what he was able to teach the Panthers in L.A. about how to protect the Panther offices, the LAPD to counter that created what was called special weapons and tactics or what we call SWAT. And the reason why they created that paramilitary division of LAPD was for one purpose is to neutralize urban guerrilla warfare. That's how well of a student Geronimo G. Jaka Pratt was. He forced LAPD to have to create SWAT. <laughs> so we okay. can thank we can thank good brother Geronimo for SWAT. Check indirectly, Ta but yes. Tahid, any thoughts, bro? Yes, sir. So when I think about this topic of education versus schooling, it's kind of I think about um when public education actually became like an actual nationwide thing in America. It was kind mm -hmm. of, you know, during the 30s, of course, when and we were at war and um, I believe it was uh, Herbert. Yeah. Herbert Hoover was the president. And he he basically said um, the whole public school system was meant to to create a nation of workers, not necessarily thinkers. It, it wasn't a, a system made to create critical thinking humans it was more so of you know we need we need more workers more soldiers we need people who can weld and and plumb. and then of course once we get to the 50s and and they start you know letting black people go to school you know the game the game totally changed and it was more so of now how can we control these give them just enough information to, to make them feel somewhat inclusive, but at the same time, we're gonna indoctrinate them with this information to, so we can stay in power. I mean, we all remember no child, the whole No Child Left Behind fiasco. So, um, you know, historically the, the public school system in America hasn't been really one of those things where, um, I'll give you a good example for me, I got my gang education 
we talk about schooling and education. I got my gang education my first year teaching high school, right? They 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 put me in a trailer way back in the back, and nobody who walked into my doors had less than two felonies. Like all my students got on a white bus and went to a, a, a one of those uh, kids' homes, and they taught me what a blood and a crip and a GD and, and all these other local gang, it, they taught me. And my education, you know, I understand that when I walk into the classroom, I'm fighting against a system that is, is constantly trying to keep us under tow. And that's, you know, what I do, you know, it's, it's more so a thing where I'm trying to make sure the people that are sitting in front of me walk out of my class critical things and not just thinking oh i gotta get straight a's go to college get a job pay back into the system as opposed to how can i create my own niche how can i create my own business do i really have to go to college you know like making making the them think outside the box that's interesting bro um you know, we're, you and I are both currently educators. You know, Minister Zumbi's a master teacher, uh, to use a crumb <laughs> phrase, a, a crumb phrase. A hey, peach yeah. to the master teachers, the master students. Uh, yeah, yo, um, you know, by the way, we want to give a shout out to Crumb TV because we're on the Crumb TV platform tonight. So salute all the master students. And, you know, we've had a couple of people checking in. We want to salute them. Crip Jesus. Yo, Crip Jesus has a dope show. So, uh, yo, just yo, go on YouTube, find some Crip Jesus. All You're right. definitely going to find that. Peace to True King and, <laughs> and Unoccupied Turtle Island. Get them okay. out of here. Get them out of here. <laughs> this is our spot. This is our spot. Um, hey, Original Skywalker says, I don't get it while we're still using the titles they gave us, like Africa. Um, well, yo, Original Skywalker, we'll tap into that a little later, right? We'll tap into that a little later. I'm glad you brought that question up. All right. Um, here's the thing as an educator, I realize that the problems that my students face are not being solved by the curriculum that they face. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So, and so it's, it's kind of interesting because dead Prez said that in their songs, like they schools don't teach us ish. <laughs> mm-hmm. My people need freedom. I need all I can get. <laughs> <laughs> you know, right. so we're, I, I'm not sure if our schools, and you know, Tahi, you and I are both educators. Are we teaching our children freedom? Are we so, teaching freedom, justice, and equality? I'm looking at, so this is how I look at it. So education in America is a business, right? Okay. It, it, it's not, it's not something meant to, to necessarily uh, nourish your soul or grow your grow your mental capacity and i try to teach my kids you know for for lack of a better term to donald trump the system right he was able to look at the system see where he can manipulate it and turn it into an, a, an advantage as opposed to something that you know Again, most people, they, you know, the government is the biggest employers, right? So most people are still continue to pay back into the system. 
and the educational system, the business that that you and I are in, it's designed to create people to continue to pay into the system. And our challenge, I think, is to make them understand that, hey, you don't have to go and and take this same route. You know what I mean? This is not this is not any kind of cookie cutter thing. Like you you can be a critical thinker and create your own niche and and create new ideas as opposed to you know recycling old ideas and you know being part of the system, right? Right. And and that poses another question. I put this in my notes. As educators, um, when when you're developing curriculums, when you're preparing for the academic year, do do you ask yourselves what type of human being am I trying to produce in order to develop the type of society that our people need? So when I when I'm doing my lesson plans, when I'm creating my lessons, um, my first thing that I that I ask myself is, am I teaching them the information or am I making them smarter? And by that, I, by that, I mean, am I teaching them the information and then challenging them to question the information to make sure it's something that, um, hey, am I being lied to about Christopher Columbus being the first person to discover America? Or is it in fact that this is part of the information I'm being fed when there were Native Americans here the whole time? He was just the first European to get there to the Caribbean, by the way. This is how they talk. But so I, I try to get them to to actually question everything, question even me like I, I when i when i deliver information i, I love it when they question and, and ask me you know certain questions and and it shows me that they're actually thinking about the information so you know so yeah i definitely try to do that hey i wanted to tap in before minister zumbi takes back over as he should yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um because this is his show <laughs> <laughs> um Yo, Tahi, you know, one of the things that I think that it's important for us to start really kind of embracing is while we do have the Asiatic, oh, I'm sorry, let me take that back. While we do have the Asian-based Native Americans, so when we think of like Geronimo, when we think of Geronimo or we think of Pocahontas or, you know, you know, when we think of those, um, those might be the more Asian-based quote-unquote Native Americans. But it was us here too, you know. Uh, you know, Dr. David M. Hotep has a great book, and uh, th there's a couple of other books. They came before Columbus that talks about the the African presence or the melanated presence, the Nubian presence, the Moorish presence, whatever term you know. Use a term, pick a term, you know, <laughs> whatever term you want to go with. We all, you know, mm -hmm. the copper colored, you know, the bronze colored, you know, pick a term, any term, rock with it. Um, mm -hmm. But I started teaching my students about five or six years ago about us being here before the Europeans came over, us being here before the Asian-based Native Americans came, 
and it's you know the information is there the if the, the information is here so uh you know when we talk about how the europeans tried to enslave the native americans first and then they didn't have a lot of success a lot of them look like us yeah um, uh, yeah i speak of of when i say the america i'm i'm talking about the americas when we're talking about north and south america and and clearly we see you know evidence that you know these people were you know african you know so at the end of the day when i say native american uh, I, i'm talking about you know those people uh from the the, the north and the south okay i'm glad you brought that up brother because well one because we have a lot of master students in the house <laughs> Okay. <laughs> they want us <laughs> to represent, you know. So they, they want us to represent, particularly when we got people like Cherie Reed. I finally figured out how to say her name. Cherie <laughs> Reed L, you know. So uh Islam Cherie Reed L. And then she uses the term unoccupied turtle island, which is one of the original terms, not the only, not the first, but one of the original terms for North America <laughs> mm. <laughs> was Turtle Island. Uh but Back to the uh, master master teacher we have at hand, Minister Zumbi. I know we kind of went off your path a little bit, mm. but know, we had it, a plus lesson. But go ahead. Yeah, but it, but it like I said, it it brings us into what we talk about when we talk about education, and you know, using Dr. Amos Wilson as kind of a guide tonight. One of the things that he stressed is this. when we talk about education and when we talk about intelligence one of the things he always stressed was the fact that intelligence and education should be measured by how you effectively solve the issues of your people because he says the primary function of education is to ensure the biological survival of a people, okay? So in other words, and you know, I may be jumping around a little bit, but I'm still on the subject here. So if we take, you know, and let's, let's use the Harvard Business School thing again, okay? If I'm coming out of a community where the unemployment rate is sky high, if the youth unemployment rate is way north of 60%, and I have the opportunity to attend a Harvard Business School or Wharton School of Business in Philly, you see, how can I use that degree once I obtain it to help solve that unemployment issue? You see, so, I'm thinking about the biological survival of the people, you know, where I come from. You know, it could be a rural setting. It could be an urban setting in the north or the south or wherever. But I'm already thinking coming into that educational process, how can I take this and help solve the unemployment issue that is affecting African people in general and certain uh, you know, certain sub demographics in particular. Okay. 
So it's almost like you have to go into the process. The, edu the student has to go into the educational process with the end game in mind. You see, because I think we make the mistake of, oh, I'm going to an Ivy League school and I'm going to learn things through osmosis. No. It's not going to happen. Okay. The, the, moniker or the branding of a being at a prestigious university guarantees you nothing except you just got a sophisticated food stamp that it may take you the next 30 years of your life to pay back <laughs> sophisticated food stamp <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know and most of these sophisticated food stamps may have a, a shelf life of less than two years now when it used to be five years back in the day <laughs> Yo, I don't, I don't, sophisticated food stamp. That yeah. you're talking about your 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 college degree is a yeah. sophisticated food stamp. You know, now I only have one. Okay, and 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 I'm gonna bring this up now. Okay, now I'm gonna bring this up from 1865 to maybe 1910 or so. We had no sophisticated food stamps from white academia. And we were able to amass over 20 million acres of farmland. Okay. Wait, 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 wait. Start that bean footage again. That's dope. Say that again. From 1865 to approximately 1910, with no sophisticated food stamps from Y Academia, we were able to amass over 20 million acres of farmland. Okay. Now we got more Negroes with more degrees than a thermometer, and we can't even keep 2 million acres of that farmland. What happened? Uh, whoa. Okay. Scrooge Greedy, I agree with you, bro. That's heavy. That's heavy. Okay. Um, and have, so, yeah, go ahead. No, I, I, I just had to let that marinate, man. Mm-hmm. So in many ways, based upon what you just shared, you know, and I don't have the receipts. I know you have the receipts because you don't say anything without receipts. Um, based on what you just shared, our people are more educated, sophisticated food. Uh, we call them food stamps. Yes, sir. <laughs> okay. Hey, I love my HBCU. Salute to Hampton University. You know, uh, Howard University might be the real HU. Hampton University is the better HU. I had to do that shout out. They got my money, they money. Okay, so you're saying that the more educated we've become, the less land we've owned, the less businesses we've owned, the less of our people we've employed, the less of our community we've protected. Am I going too far? You're, you're saying exactly, I can't remember the chapter, for those of us who have read that great classic uh, by Dr. Carter G. Woodson, Miseducation of the Negro, there's a chapter where he talks about how, how is it that a street vendor understands business better than somebody coming out of business school with an MBA? And then he goes into that whole miseducation because... It's like everything that we may have been taught in business through these business schools, it basically teaches you how to fit into an existing construct as opposed to creating one. I'll give you a prime example. 
uh, I was invited uh, at a local college because they were trying to recruit more brothers into their uh, MBA program. So I'm on the tour and we go into this one business class. Now, there's teams that have been given the charge of developing a business. They've been together for like three years. So there's this one team that developed what's called a computer chef, where they basically programmed over 700 uh, recipes into this computer. Uh, great concept. Everyone was asking questions about it. So I asked the, the professor permission. I would like to ask them two questions. He said, yeah, sure. So the first question I asked was, about the distribution system. I said, why is your distribution system so limited? I said, you could use, you know, things like Finger Hut, QVC, Home Shopping Network, et cetera, you know, to get a greater distribution of your product. Okay. And they really couldn't give me uh, an answer that could satisfy it. So I could tell they never thought about it. Here's the second question. I said, you've already developed a personal model why not develop a corporate or commercial model? I said, what do you mean? I said, look, you've got hospitals, you've got convalescent homes, registered dietitians, sports nutritionists who could use this. One guy fainted. Another guy kind of hit his head like he had a V8 moment. Okay. <laughs> and what I explained to them was by creating a corporate or a, you know, institutional model, you can charge more, which would give you an extra 350 to $400 million that you could easily give back to the VCs and start playing with house money faster. Ooh. Okay. Now, two white guys came who are on that team came back to me, pulled me to the side okay. and said, we've been at this for three years. We never thought about creating a corporate model. He said, we need guys like you in our business class. Or in our business program. He said, why? He said, they don't teach us how to make money here. You came off the street and showed us how to make money within five minutes that we would have never known going through this thing in three years. Whoa. That's what they told me. And, and that right there showed me the level of miseducation, not just for our people, but for theirs. Because how can you sit up here and teach business? And, and I'm going to put this to the audience. Name okay. me one business school in America or anywhere on the planet that teaches sales. You won't find it. Or you'll be hard-pressed to find one that teaches sales because across the board in business schools, they feel that sales is beneath them to teach. Yet nothing happens in business without a sale. <sighs> But I, I would dare say that uh, I didn't go to business school. Hey, Tahi, did you go to business school? No, sir. I didn't go. Okay. Now, me, I didn't go to business school, but I did go to KSU. I went to Kitchen State University. That's where I went. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to salute everyone in YouTube University and Master Student Crumb TV University right now. This is a lesson. This okay. is a lesson. Teach on, good brother. Teach on, good brother. Okay. And so that's why, and in fact, there's a saying that education, real education, 
is the result of experience. That's real education. Real education is the result of experience because when you go into these business schools, you're always having case studies of guys who have never sat inside of a Stanford business school or uh, Northwestern Business School or Wharton or Harvard or even the London Business School. So they're studying what somebody has taken a risk in doing. Okay. So, so getting back to this whole thing about education, we have to start reassessing what, what does education mean? Or what should education mean for African people in the 21st century and beyond? And that should be based on what are our needs, be they political, economic, spiritual, or otherwise. Because that's the type of education that we're going to need. Now, I know you brothers are in the South. Um, I know when I did live in South Carolina that there were churches that would have what's called saturday schools okay okay and here's what a saturday school is all right every church has what i call an abundance of human capital you know like okay let's take your your church brother seku how many educators attend your church regularly well <laughs> i have to admit brother i'm a tithing not attending member <laughs> so, I, I really couldn't tell you, bro. Okay, it, it stopped. It stopped working for me. Okay, but, but I know okay. this. I know this. I know that you know the law of um, reciprocity means if I give, it comes back to me threefold. Okay, so let's now. You say your father was a minister. If I'm yeah, correct. my father was a minister. Yeah, I'm a PK. Okay. I'm a PK. Okay, so so let's say that your father's church or ministry had an abundance of educators, whether they were from pre-K all the way to, you know, grad school. All right. And your father gathered these folks together and he says, I want to start a Saturday school where we begin to start helping the youth, not just in our congregation, but in the community. You know, if they're struggling with certain subjects or if we need to prepare them for the SAT, the ACT, uh, how to do college board exams, you know, things that we're not going to learn in a traditional classroom. Yeah. OK. Yeah. Now, I must say that uh, my father's church in Brooklyn, New York, peace out to Brooklyn. Brooklyn is a blood type in uh, Brooklyn, New York. Um, <laughs> you know, my father's church did that. But I have to say my father was a revolutionary. Okay. You know, so, you know, we grew up under revolutionary theology. Okay. You know, so revolutionary theology said that what you believe and what you dedicate yourself to must change your life in a positive manner. And if it doesn't, you're worshiping the wrong thing. You know, okay. so that, that, that revolutionary theology said, hey, we got to take this concept that I'm dealing with, and in his case, it was Christianity, mm -hmm. and we got to change our situation. Right. Right. So, you know, um, you know, there was a lot of, you know, revolution theology, and it has some other titles. It other has some other titles to it. Liberation theology is the term that most people use. My father used the term right. revolution, but liberation theology, it means that your theology must liberate you. Hmm. So, right. 
So would you say your father was a student of uh, Reverend Albert Klee? Yes. Okay. And my father was a student of the honor, Honorable Elijah Muhammad. And mm. my father was a student of the Honorable um, Moses Messiah Garvey. And my father was a student of uh, the Prophet Noble Jurali. And my father was a, a student of the Honorable Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King and his predecessors. And, okay. you know, th there's a bunch of sisters that I can't think of right now. So right. I don't want to leave the sisters out. I keep doing that. Okay. You know, bad me. I got to right. represent the sisters. Um, but we did have Saturday school. Like Scrooge, mm. Scrooge Greedy said he went to Saturday school. We had Saturday school. We had a revolutionary summer camp. I went mm. to, in the summers... After I finished uh, vacation Bible school, with, and it was kind of revolutionarily focused, I went to um, Uhuru Nikazi. I went to a mm. freedom school. Mm -hmm. And the United Church of Christ had some freedom schools, uh, which were African-centered in nature. Right. That really made us think differently. Uh, okay. So. Yeah, yeah. You know, Scrooge Greedy says his father was a deacon of the church. A lot of us were church-based, man. Um, and mm -hmm. some of us had a liberation or revolutionary theology. Unfortunately, one of the okay. reasons why I can't really rock with the church right now is because it's not liberation. It's not revolutionary. Okay. And see, your father is what I would call a true educator because he developed or he understood what the needs of the people were and he innovated if not improvised curriculums that met the needs of the people so even though your father used uh, the pulpit you know no pun intended he was an educator from that aspect because he used his platform to educate from what he knew, not only meeting the physical needs of the people, but also the spiritual needs of the people. Okay, so so he was an educator on multiple levels. Hey, uh, Sharif Bay, uh, we'll, we'll we'll tap into that a little a little later. Uh, not, I mean, not we're not putting you off, Sharif. We're going to tap in that towards the end of the broadcast. So we're going to come back to your question, Sharif. All right. Right. All right. But uh, look, brother, I know you have a curriculum here. I keep getting in the way. Tahi, did you have a quick statement yeah, you want to sorry. tap in with before I we let him continue his diatribe? Oh. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I just um, I was thinking, listening to uh, to what the minister was saying. And I, would, I totally agree um, when it comes to um, the whole idea of what education actually is, um, mm. both formal and informal just being able to um, to grasp the concepts of, you know, that whole producing and not becoming a consumer, not, you know, creating, let's just say, and not, and not just consuming and the educational system, the way we, the way it's set up now, you know, of course, I think I saw that it was like black people have, you know, over, you know, what is it? Two trillion, Two, two trillion dollars worth of buying power right mm -hmm. right now um probably really more closer to three trillion but it's like what are we actually buying we're not, we're not buying land we're not buying making businesses it's more of a, a consumption right 
Um, right. And and my question, I guess, what like what? How can how can we start in a system that's is so ingrained, particularly in the black community? You know, your your success is based on how much money you have, and you know what what you can buy. Can you can you buy a a Rolex watch, or can you you know afford the, the big car? You know the you know mm-hmm. they inundate us with all these you know rappers and basketball players and everybody with the gold chains and you know and this is what the kids this is who they want to emulate. Like, how do we get through to them? How can we change that? Well, here's the one thing. Um, real real power if you will or real economic power in you know taking your question it's not judged by consumption as it is by production okay so when you talk to the young people ask them okay if you produce i mean excuse me David Banner said something very interesting. He said he had a, a conversation with Minister Farrakhan, and he said that if you really want to uh, serve the people economically, okay, be able to feed the people, he said you should get into the water business, all right, because it's going to come a time when those who can provide the basic needs of our people are going to be the ones who will really be considered the true ballers. Mm. Okay. Because think about it. And I forgot where I heard this. I think it was wall street too. the saying about bulls make money, bears make money and pigs get slaughtered. (laughs) And what do pigs and what do pigs do? They consume. They don't produce. So it's that whole challenge now of how do we teach our young people to produce? Okay, it's one thing, you know, you you make seven, eight figures and you go out and you buy, you know, cars that you can't spell or pronounce. But it's another when you can invest in a young Nigerian or a young Ghanaian engineer to help him produce cars on the market that can compete with the ones that are coming out of Europe coming out of Japan, coming out of America, and the big three in Detroit. Okay? Mm. That's something different because now, being a producer, you're not just producing cars. You're producing jobs for our engineers, our sales teams, creating opportunities for our people to be retailers of these things. See, we are infinite job creators. The question is, how many of those jobs are we producing for ourselves? I'll show you that. Okay. Man, that's, that's a great question, man. Hey, uh, you know, you brought up my father, so just wanted to give one of the oh, yes. more revolutionary pictures mm-hmm. of my pops. You know, uh, may he rest in revolution. Uh, this is what I grew up seeing, man. His, his, his office mm-hmm. at land is the basis of all power. Okay. <laughs> and this is just one of them, man. Um yeah, that's uh, yeah. We did have an interesting question, brother. Um, and I, I want to bring the picture up. I want to bring the uh picture up very quickly. Okay, question up 
Why do we allow mandated uniforms to be worn in schools that resemble convict uniforms and doors that buzz and lock when you enter and exit? Do you feel that this is preparation for the prison pipeline, the preschool to prison pipeline? Yo, could you uh, respond to Shantae Miles very quickly? Yeah, uh, there is a gentleman, and I think it's your friend, uh, Brother Sekou, uh, Brother Raheem Shabazz. That's my dude, yeah. Okay, who put out that revolutionary genocide uh, documentary series. Okay. Right. Uh, I think, what is it, volume one, two, and three? If I'm not mistaken, I I've seen one, and I've seen bits of two. I haven't had a chance to watch three. But if you watch that series, that'll answer a lot, if not the total question, okay, about that school-to-prison pipeline, okay, because... Yeah, elementary genocide. Elementary genocide. Because think about it. When, when you look at the way the school systems are set up, like you said, they're set up like prisons. And somebody correct me if I'm wrong. The ones who provide food for the school also provide for the prisons. Why is it that the lunch trays look almost identical? Ooh. Okay. Think about it. Why do they look basically identical to where the trays basically portion off your food? Okay. The protein goes here. The carbohydrate goes here. The utensils go in that little slot. It's almost like a mirror. <laughs> All right. You went deep. Hey, uh, Shantae Miles, thanks for that, that question. That's, I'm glad that we were able to uh, respond to your question by giving you something else to look into. Uh, mm. This is elementary genocide. This is number three. Uh, this was number two. Right. The Board of Education versus the Board of Incarceration. Mm -hmm. And my favorite joint was the first one. The, right. uh, the school to prison pipeline. The school pipeline. to prison pipeline. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, it had our, our good brother Umar in there, Dr. Umar. Right. Uh, had Dr. Boyce Watkins, had uh, Brother Killer Mike. In fact, in volume two, there's a brother who um, I think his name is Brother Tracy Sinfax. Um, I actually met him at the Harlem Book Fair, and he had a very uh, interesting story about having to go through the uh, incarceration experience and then coming out and basically becoming his own uh boss by creating a construction company and he's been given uh you know various awards keys to the city um very humble individual uh if you ever get a chance to meet the brother uh he has a very interesting story a very interesting redemption story i should say yeah i was just showing very quickly the uh necessary blackness podcast so raheem shabazz the uh, person who created the elementary genocide uh, docu-series also mm -hmm. has a podcast that I listen to, a really great podcast called Necessary Blackness. You can find it on Apple, Facebook live stream, Spotify, Google podcast, wherever mm -hmm. you find your podcast. little shout out. I'm going to go ahead and send him an invoice. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, that's why I love Shantae Miles, man. Yo, Shantae Miles' question 
it's just led to an invoice. So I want to profit from that. So uh, okay. I, salute, I salute that. <laughs> hey, Tahid, have you heard of Necessary Blackness or Elementary Genocide? I have heard of uh, Necessary Blackness, but I just wrote down the, uh, the Elementary Genocide. Definitely got to want to check that out. Oh, yeah. 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 Raheem lives in the ATL, man. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. He lives in the mm. A. So give it up for the ATL. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, lean with it, rock with it. Um, nice. Minister Zumbi. <laughs> I mean, actually, Tahid, man. What were you about to say? No, I was just. I was just saying that I was definitely uh, writing this down so I can, because uh, I like to learn. I'm, 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 and I, I, when I see something that I think I can can help me help these kids, mm-hmm. I'm, I definitely want to uh, make sure I check it out. Right, and and since you're in the ATL, and I don't know if you're familiar with this gentleman, uh, Dr. Chike Akua. Oh yes, sir. Okay, I have a picture with him on my phone. Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah. So for, for those who may not be familiar with Dr. Chike Akua, he Dr. is, um, you know, some people may consider him Dr. Jawanza Kuntufu 2.0, hmm. um, but he has been at the forefront of the whole education movement. Um, in fact, the reason why I bring him up is because he is what I call a liberated educator and here's what i mean when i say that most most of our educators particularly at the phd level um never had the opportunity to operate entrepreneurially um the closest may have been dr naeem akbar when he was at florida state when he created his own publishing company uh dr jawans kanjufu out of chicago with african-american images um, Dr. Malifi Asante would probably be more entrepreneurial minded, even though he was still at Temple. But Dr. Akua has seemed to create his own lane to where he creates educational products and doesn't have to rely on a paycheck. Yeah. OK. And I think that's what makes him so effective. Uh, also, uh, another uh, husband and wife education team in Atlanta. Uh, in Walmu Baruti and his first lady, uh, Mama Ya, who created the Akabin Institute. Hmm. Okay, I don't know if you're familiar with um, Brother Baruti. Not not Brother Baruti, but uh, definitely Dr. Dr. Akul. He came and spoke at our school probably about two years ago. Okay. Uh, very dynamic. <clears throat> okay, but if you ever get a chance to check out the Akabin House uh, in Atlanta, uh, they've been doing it for, um, I know, at least a good maybe 20, 25 years. And both of them were educators at at Morehouse. Uh, but because of their position and taking principal stands on certain things that they felt were anti-African centered, mm-hmm. uh, they were forced out of um, Morehouse and... Basically, they created their own institution called the Akabin House. And spell um, how do you spell Akabin? How do you spell? Akabin? Okay, it's uh, A K O B E N. Okay. Um, A K O B. Yeah, and um, yeah, some call it the Akabin House. Some call it Akabin Institute. Mm. Yep. 
and Walamu K. Bomani Baruti is co-founder and co-director of Akaben Institute. And it's a full-time independent African-centered homeschooling program. And that's our wow. elder. And I don't know how long he's been in the Atlanta area. But he's written some very powerful books. Uh, he's written one that deals with um, African manhood called Asafo. Mm -hmm. Okay, where it's basically a series of essays dealing with uh, how to create African men in an anti-African society. Mm. Um, there's another one that he's written called Iwa, which is Yoruba standing for character. And he has a series of, of DVD lectures where he talks about the importance of character in being African-centered, particularly amongst our own people. Uh, that, that's a must read for anyone, uh, be you educator, activist, or otherwise. Definitely going to check this out. Thank you. you you muted. The good brother Kevin Yates had a question. And, uh, okay. I, you know, I know that we're, we're time is running now. We're at the 53 minute mark. But uh, I thought it would be kind of cool to tap into Kevin Yates question and mm -hmm. then to go back to the other brother's comment. And okay. uh, we'd like to get your response to that. All mm. right. So Kevin says. The diagram of time and placement in public school matches the industrial warehouse structure. Eight hours, 30-minute lunch. One mm -hmm. lead instructor per area. It's preparation and training to operate in someone else's business. Deviation mm -hmm. equals suspension or expulsion, which is days laid off or fired from the job. Uh, your thoughts on what the good brother Kevin stated? And and it, it, came, it comes exactly out of what Dr. Amos Wilson talked about. Because we come from a different paradigm, a different perspective where we had uh, unique challenges, that whole 45-minute window is insufficient for us. And the fact that, you know, we operate on a different time system, okay, where we're not locked into a box, but it's more free-flowing, you see. And so that's one of the things that he says, like, I remember when, you know, I used to do other broadcasts or other podcasts where everything was always time constraint. So the people, and that's why I said, I think it's a myth where you say that the people have a short attention span. I, I, I beg to differ. It's more the fact that the time constraints don't allow for the people to digest the necessary information because we've been operating from a crisis perspective since the fall of the Moors. Okay. And so we've been in a very starved position for, for education and we can't do things in, you know, tidbits. Okay. That's why Dr. Amos Wilson always says that you need to have your own institutions so you can work on, the issues affecting your people full time, not on a weekend, not on a three to five day conference, but on a 24 seven basis, because our people need a lot of things and are affected by in a lot of areas. OK, interesting, interesting, interesting. All right. Let's go back to. Uh, all right. It looks like you reread L. 
Okay, I think there was a Morris brother that, that asked a question. All right, yeah, let's let's go to uh to the Morris brothers question. Okay. Uh, I, I'm I'm scrolling through the questions now, and uh I'm having a hard time because <laughs> I know he was asking something about you know civics and uh, a few other. Oh yeah, here it is. Okay, yeah, okay. there it is. Okay, erudition, jurisprudence, civics, Moorish law, uh, Moorish history, and law. Um, and a lot of people, you know, I, I may not have shared this, but probably one of my favorite Moors to watch is a brother out of New York named Brother Hakeem Bay. And he was the one that really got me to start thinking um, along the terms of law and nationality and, and so forth. Okay. So we, we need those lessons and we need these Moors to start producing uh, literature. I, I know Hakeem Bey has produced a lot of literature. I know there's other Moors who, you know, get, get into that, but we need a lot more of that because I believe that every school of thought brings value uh, to the table. So I would like to see Moors and, and especially in the area of economics, Okay, because I've been asking Moors for the longest, what is been, what is the economic blueprint that the Prophet Noble Drew Ali left? We know what the Honorable Marcus Garvey left. We know what the Honorable Elijah Muhammad left in terms of an economic blueprint. Now, what did the Prophet Noble Drew Ali leave in terms of an economic blueprint for original people? Okay, so so we definitely need those lessons and. I know that uh, there's certain pockets of Moors that teach what they call Sunday school. Okay, where where they get into those lessons. So it's not just about teaching religion. They they get into those subjects that we need if we're serious about building any form of civilization, whether you call it a nation, kingdom, empire, village, or community. So so we definitely need those lessons. Well, you know, one of the things that the uh, prophet more uh, noble Drew Ali said, there was a quote about our dollars and cents, mm, okay. our dollars and cents. And he talks about uh, our people, original people, uh, Asiatics, African people, black people, melanated people, Moorish people, you know, pick a word, pick a term, you know, whatever. Mm. Um, and I, I'm not demeaning or saying that we shouldn't use, be focused on identity. You know, and and I'm not saying that you know uh, nationalism is not the order of the day. I'm simply saying that some of us use different terms. Mm -hmm. right. So, mm -hmm. with that being said, uh, there was a part where he talked about us being industrious, and uh, I'm going to look for my Morris teachings because mm -hmm. I used to have a a big collection of you know some of the writings of the Prophet Noble Jurali, and in those writings, he's talked about we need to be about our dollars and cents. And I'm sure that uh, Sharif Bay can probably talk about that. Maybe he can quote that. And uh, Sheree Reed, you know, Sheree Reed L, she could probably quote that as well. Um, and some of the other master students can probably quote that. But, you know, the prophet talked about our dollars and cents. Dr. Reverend Martin Luther King talked about making sure that our money circulated amongst ourselves. You know, so all of our leaders you know, Marcus Garvey, <laughs> focus on us and everything else will fall into place. You know, so I'm, 
our leaders have been saying these things for years. And it's interesting now that we are now awakening and listening to and reading and following and living by the lessons that our, our, our predecessors left us. You know, mm-hmm. it's a good thing. Yes. So, uh, yeah, Sharif Bay, I hope, hope that answered your question. Well, I hope that started, you know, his, his thoughts on it. Yeah. And if the brother has it, like I said, if he has any information about the economic blueprint of the Prophet Noble Drew Ali, I definitely uh, want to have it because I wanted to add uh, add that to the updated edition of my book. Um, you know, because when we talk about different schools of thought, putting their information on the table, you know, we want to be able to create a plebiscite where everybody can come and get a plate from the from the buffet. Brother Tahid, any thoughts, man? Any uh, we're going to be closing in the next five minutes. Any closing thoughts, Brother Tahid? Um, I just uh, would like to say when I, when I thought about the actual title uh, or the topic for today, um, education versus schooling, um, I, I'm not sure. I feel like some in many ways they they it's it's almost a symbiotic type of thing where the we we kind of we talk we think about slang and like yo you've been schooled you know, I got I just schooled you like on the basketball court or something like that um more of a hands-on maybe blue collar type of skill but when we talk about education I think it sometimes implies like you know more like formal education but I think a lot of times when you are in those uh formal uh environments you you the experiences the the environment and you know the education you get you know it's all part of your schooling like i always tell my students we're made up of three e's your education your experience and your environment you know if you if you can quality if you can get quality your quality ease you you create a quality producer right not necessarily a a, a, just another run-of-the-mill consumer and and that's what i think we should try to do I'll say that. I'll say that. Oh, one of the things that uh, the Prophet Noble Drali said in, in one of his writings, um, <laughs> all members Ooh. should pay 25 cent to 50 cent weekly towards the emergency fund. And, you know, as a person who used to be a financial uh, professional, and I still am, you know, to some degree, uh, yeah. I teach finance. And I, one of the things that I teach people is an emergency fund is so needed. Yeah. Uh, an emergency fund really beats off the bullies. So if you think about it in school, let's go back to school. There were students in school who were bullied. And why were they bullied? Because they couldn't, one, stick up for themselves, and two, no one else stood up for them. Right? Mm-hmm. Right? Am I right? You know, right. Yeah. because they were bullied because they didn't stick up for themselves, and no one else stood up for them. Uh, Shante says, love you, brothers. Hey, we love you back, Queen. Um, so an emergency fund helps you to fight off the bullies of life because things are going to happen. And, you know, when you have an emergency fund, your emergency fund fights for you. So when things in life comes your way, your emergency fund will fight for you. So I, I tell students, you know, when I first, you know, when I first came out of college, when my car broke down, it was a problem. 
Mm. <laughs> I had to find money. I had to borrow money from dad and, you know, you know, talk to mom, get some money. I had to work extra hours. It was a problem when my car broke down. But now I have an emergency fund. So right. let's say the car breaks down. It's not a problem. I just mm-hmm. go to the emergency fund, get the money, pay for it. It's more of a hassle than a problem. Mm. A hassle is something you can deal with easily. Right. A problem is something you have to surmount. Mm-hmm. So know. right now, you know, it's a hassle. I just drop it off at the shop, give them the money, and I take an Uber to work. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I like to call it the Noah effect, and I forgot who said it, but they said the best time to plan for wars during peacetime. <laughs> drop okay. it. Drop and, it. And, and, and right now, You've got a lot of people in this, you know, post uh, pandemic economy who are trying to prepare for war in the midst of battle, which isn't really the best time to do it. Okay, and so, you know, not to be self-promoting, but this particular book and we're coming up on tax refund season. Okay. There is a chapter that I've written in this book about what to do with that windfall. It's a 10-point tax refund program. Okay, So when you get it, I guarantee that your tax refund should last you past St. Patty's Day. Okay? So everyone go out and get the Gospel of Afronomics Theology. You can get it from your original bookstore. You can also get it on Amazon as a last resort. And there's three other books that I want people, you know, to continue the conversation about education. Uh, Number one, everyone should have this one. Um, This is Notes for an African World Revolution, Africans at the Crossroads by Dr. John Henry Clark. One of the things that he says about education is this. He says education has but one honorable purpose. Everything else is a waste of time. It is to prepare the student to be a proper and responsible handler of power. Mm. Okay. So this this is a must-have in your library. This one, Message to the Black Man in America by the Most Honorable Elijah Muhammad. He talks about what an education should be. He said that an education should be so that our people can go and do for self. Now I'm going to be controversial right quick. You have 107 HBCUs in America, according to the U.S. Department of Education. Name me one HBCU that has an African-centered, Black nationalist, or Pan-Africanist curriculum. Oh. <laughs> okay. Okay. Hey, and, I, and love re- my, I love my Hampton University, but when you and, said that, I had to put it down. Okay. And the reason I said that, uh, somebody had asked Dr. Malifi Asante the question about what do you think of HBCUs? His response, I haven't seen one. Mm. Okay. And the last book that everybody should have is what is considered the Bible for Black nationalists and African-centered people. Dr. Amos Wilson's blueprint for black power okay in fact this was released posthumously uh after he joined the realm of the ancestors okay Mm. 
his business partner, Dr. Sabubu, uh, is still holding down African World Information Systems, who still publishes the book. So everyone should have this in their library. All right. So, uh, hey, this has been a great show. This has been a great lesson. This has been a great episode. This has been a great discussion. Use whatever term you want to use. Mm -hmm. uh, Minister Zumba, you already showed us your books. <laughs> yes, sir. All right. Uh, Tahid, last words. I just want to say thank you, Minister, for, for all the knowledge that you uh, have provided. Like I said, I, 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 I love coming on because I always learn. And, uh, and it makes me better. It makes me a better teacher so I can better prepare my students. Um, and I just want to say thank you. appreciate the knowledge. Oh, get that. I'll show you that. Uh, Minister Zumbi, last words. Oh, two things. Uh, let us all be $20 revolutionaries. Okay? Being a $20 revolutionary means every week you should make a $20 purchase from a black owned business, be it e-commerce or brick and mortar, because it's one thing to not just buy black, but let us all build black. And part of that is by patronizing our, our business owners and entrepreneurs. And then the other thing is being a cop, especially if your business is dealing with intellectual property, being a creator, owner, and protector of what you create. So be a cop, be a $20 revolutionary. All right. And uh, I'll go out with this. Within the within the so-called so black community, money circulates, stays, stays in the community. One day, one day in our, uh, in our Latino, community, Latino community, stays community, stays in one week, one week. Saturday, Saturday. All right. And, All right. And, and, Asian community, Asian community, days, 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 directory in online, in online and in a and in form, a app coming soon, apps coming soon where we can where find we can our find business. our business let's see who uh let's see who uh we have here so we right now here. so right now we have 14 let's look at let's look at restaurants let's say i want to look at a restaurant let's go with dj let's go with you know, dj let's see who else is out here in the dj world let's your business let's your business will simply go simply go with us with us and you'll see that there's some options and we invite everyone to take the free option for right now so start your start your Today, HR Green Book, and let's make sure our money circulates stronger, stronger, and longer.